The scripture reading for this afternoon is from the book of Exodus and chapter 21, and from verses 12 to 27. We read those verses first. Exodus chapter 21, from verses 12 to 27. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not die in wait for him, but God let, let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar, that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with a fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again, and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as a woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determined. But if there is a harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slaves, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. And so far with the scripture readings. Now the sermon for this afternoon is based on uh, Gospel Matthew chapter 5 from verses 38 to 42. Now we read this few verses. Matthew chapter 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the red cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, 
go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, so far with the scripture reading. After the sermon, we shall respond with seeing Psalm 94, stands 1 and 2. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how should we respond to personal injustice when people hurt and offend us? How do we respond to evil with an eye for an eye? Or do you just stand there and accept the arbitrary abuse of others? What is the proper way to respond to evil? From our reading of the passage, we all realize that we are in the middle of a chapter, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is revealing the true meaning behind the various parts of Old Testament law. Jesus said to get into heaven and you must have the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He shows us what this surpassing righteousness looks like in each case, and the law was often improperly interpreted and applied by the scribes and Pharisees. So far in verses from 1 to 37, Jesus has shown the light, dealt with murder, idolatry, and vows, and declared his expectations of his disciples. Now in verses from 38 to 42, we come to the issue of vengeance. Our text is very straightforward. And here's one of those verses that are easy, very easy to understand, but it's not easy to leave out or to apply. Vengeance is not limited to the violent sectors of our nation. It happens in the workplace, schools, homes, and even in churches because we humans naturally demand certain rights to hurt and harm those who treat us unjustly, those who treat us like a dirt, dirt. We all know that underneath our elegant exteriors is an inexhaustible capacity for anger and revenge. Revenge is driven by a strong desire to assert our right. And we believe that revenge is our right. It begins in childhood and is manifested, manifest, it is a manifestation of our depravity. Put a group of children together and see what happens when one child believes another child has denied him his rights. Crying, shoving, beating, scratching, in sure. As children enter 
adolescence and adulthood, the same kind of retaliation occurs. Only sometimes it is more sophisticated, and sometimes is over the top violent. Newspaper headlines report daily on self-centered claims of entitlement that manifest themselves in all kinds of violence. But this is where Christians are to demonstrate a different way of living, the way of being sought and light. In today's message. We will look at what Jesus taught concerning vengeance, and how we should respond to personal injustice, and how should we behave in real life in human relationships against the spirit of revenge. Jesus Christ asserts that his disciples must be radically different here. They must lay down many of their rights, and with it, the spirit of revenge. They must be willing to be a doormat for Jesus. Therefore, I preach to you this afternoon under this theme: Jesus teaches us to give up many of our rights in response to personal injustice. And there's three points we'll share. Together, at first point, the proper interpretation of the law of Moses. At second point, the radical illustration of his teaching. And the last point, the lessons from his teaching. Now, the first point, the proper interpretation of the law of Moses. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says in verse thirty-eight. And thirty-nine A, you have heard that it was said, "An eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Our text passage is one of the most commonly misunderstood verses because people tend to take the passage out of the context to determine its meaning. Some people take these words to be literal and reject any act of retaliation. These verses have been misused to promote pacifism, conscientious objection, lawlessness, anarchy, and many others. The main theme of the book, Taurus. Uh, Tolstoy's "War and Peace" comes from this misinterpretation of this passage. The result is that he advocates the elimination of police, military, and other forms of authority as the path to a utopian society. He argues that even crimes should not be punished. Basing his argument on Jesus' words here, do not fight against wicked. Others thinks this was a, an exaggeration by Jesus. 
is not what it meant. People would say, if someone hits you, you don't just stand there like a punch bag and wait to be hit. You have to defend yourself. Sometimes you just have to hit back. Not only are the words of Jesus diametrically opposed to any such teaching, but his reaction when he was cruelly crucified on the cross shows that such an understanding is inconsistent with Jesus' teaching. If neither of these interpretations is entirely accurate, then what was Jesus' teaching? First, Jesus was talking about dealing with the adversary through legal means. The word resist in verse 39a refers to confrontation in court. Secondly, the picture Jesus paints here is that we are so meek and humble that we do not care about revenge, but we care about people. We must be careful because the interpretation of any passage must depend on its context. The context of this passage is true righteousness versus self-righteousness. Jesus is not giving a new commandment saying that if these new commandments are kept, they will make one righteous. Instead, he was making the characteristic of a, challenge, of a changed heart. Jesus did not change the Old Testament law, but emphasized the spirit of the law that was lost in rabbinic tradition. In each specific illustration of the scripture we read today, he contrasts his teaching with that of the scribes and gives some very good and vivid examples of how the characteristics of the Sermon on the Mount are brought into play in specific situations. Jesus' teaching on anger and hatred, in contrast to the scribes' teaching on murder, shows the result of a spiritual poverty and mercy. His teaching on idolatry and divorce shows the expression of inner purity. His teaching about keeping promises and not lying shows the performance of man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. His teaching on justice and vengeance in today's text shows meekness in action and attitude. In today's Text, the scribes once again distort, distort the Mosaic law. The phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was recorded in three <clears throat> places in the Old Testament. So, Actus chapter 21, Leviticus chapter 24, and Deuteronomy chapter 19 of the Old Testament. In all these chapters, this uniform code of law is about the civil 
justice systems, just a punishment to those who commit crimes. This code is restrictive and requires that the penalty is matched to the crime. Note, this is a restriction code. The purpose of this law is twofold. First, it prevents excessive punishment based on personal revenge and reputation, retribution. Man's basic sinfulness is reflected in his desire for revenge. If he suffers in one ounce of harm, he wants a pound of revenge. You can see this even in the very young children. One child bumps into another child. The second child hits the first child. And the things escalate from there. It's the same with the nations. One nation is offended and another retaliates with an even greater offense until it often turns into an outright war. Second, as mentioned in the Deuteronomy chapter 19, this code was intended to deter further violations. For when the rest hear of it, they will be afraid and will never again do such evil among them. The core of eye for an eye is a fair legal code because it matches the punishment to the crime. It's a just code because it limits the tendency to seek vengeance beyond what is deserved for the crime. Finally, this code is compassionate because it protects society by limiting wrongdoings. The Jews of Jesus' day did not understand these words in this way. Instead, they twisted this law to mean that you must exact revenge on them when someone offends you. I believe this is what many of us who read these words today often comprehend. But this is, a, this is a very wrong understanding of this words of Jesus. The purpose of these words in the law of Moses was not to encourage retaliation. The intention was to limit it to the greatest extent possible. According to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, those who lived under the Mosaic law were not to take justice into their own hands and not exact vengeance on people privately. Yet, they were required to love their neighbor as themselves. Thus, in Exodus chapter 21, from 20, verses 22 to 25, the Lord says, When men strive together and hate a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hits her shall surely be fine, as a woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. 
But if there is a harm, then you, sh you shall pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So the only time you can take the law into your own hands and carry out a judgment is if a family member is accidentally killed. And you can kill the offender as long as he's outside the city of one of the sanctuaries. Otherwise, it was to be handled, handed over to a judge for trial. And it was the judge's sentence that was subject to an eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-an-tooth restriction. However, the Jews of Jesus' day thought these words meant that individuals were allowed to exact revenge. And of course, that is what they did. Now we are turning back to ourselves. Aren't we, in fact, sometimes like these Jews, more willing to seek revenge on those who have wronged us? Isn't the, isn't the cliffed phrase, don't get angry, get revenge? How many times do we try to get even? How many times do we try to carry out that revenge? However, the law repeatedly forbids personal vengeance in both Old Testament and New Testament. The matter of revenge was to be left up to God and his duly appointed agent, the civil government. There's no difference between the law and what we find in the New Testament in this regard. Personal vengeance in response to injustice has no place in lives of those who are the covenant people of God. For us, the disciples of Jesus, there is, a other, there is another way. Now let's examine more closely the rest verses of our text. This brings us to the second point, the radical illustration of his teaching. Our world, our word says, or we can say our flesh often grace, don't let people walk over you. Don't let them take advantage of you. Don't be a doormat. Stand up for yourself. Assert your rights. But what does Jesus say? In our text from verses 39b to verse 42, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other, the other side also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the ones who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In these few verses, Jesus gives us four pictures of what it might look like. These are brilliant pictures of a creative engagement rather than justified retaliation. 
through these four pictures. Now Jesus goes beyond the written word and shows us the deep meaning of the law. The Old Testament taught justice. That was good. But Jesus taught radical response to personal injustice, a love over revenge, by giving up many of our rights even better. The first picture has to do with personal insult. Look at verse 39b. If someone strike you on strike you on the right cheek, turn to him the other side also. Jesus is talking here about the backhand slap on the right cheek. It is considered a great insult, a terrible, a terrible indignity, and a sign of extreme disrespect at the time of Jesus Christ. Even a slave would rather be whipped than slapped. But Jesus says, if someone hits you across your right case and turn to him the other also. He is telling us to give up our right to be respected and even make ourselves vulnerable to be insulted again. That requires a death to self. More importantly, it puts the person who strikes us in a position where he must consider his behavior and invites him to be the one to end the conflict. The instruction Jesus gives us is, if you want to show a true sense of justice, then even if you are personally insulted, slandered, and scorned, you are to turn the other cheek, with him, which symbolizes not retaliation, but a humble and gentle spirit in your heart. This is the expression of a true humility. We see this in the life of Jesus. Although he strongly resisted evil against others, Jesus never sought revenge when evil was directed against him personally. Before he was taken to the cross, he was treated with great contempt by those in the courtroom and later by the soldiers. They mocked and beat, spat on and pulled his beard. But he did not say a word against them. On the contrary, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. This is the example that Peter says we should follow in 1 Peter chapter 2. For what credits us is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He did not sin 
and neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. At work, when you feel like you need to defend yourself, when you feel like your honor has been violated and you need to get even to be correct, Jesus would say, you, would, you could do that, but you lose your influence. Isn't it better to influence the people around you than just to get paid back? It's way better to win over the people around you rather than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. As an agent of the kingdom, Jesus will say that you now can look for creative ways to refuse to participate in an ongoing mutual hostility that is rampant in our world and so ineffective. Jesus invites his people to a different way to embrace the posture of vulnerability instead of revenge. Once again, this verse's context is a radical response to personal injustice and love over revenge by giving up your right to be respected. However, the meaning of this word does not prohibit self-defense or protecting others from harm. Notice, notice that Jesus did not say, if someone cuts off your right hand, then you give them your other hand. Jesus did not say, if someone bullies someone else, let them bully the all they want. No. As a Christian, we can fight to protect ourselves and keep others from physical harm. We should stand up boldly for the oppressed. But what we cannot do is fight back in personal anger, anger and revenge. That's why Jesus said to turn the other cheek. The second picture has to do with the lawsuits. Look at verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Here Jesus is speaking that the the second right believers must be willing to to relinquish for Christ his possessions. The tunic in Jesus' picture was a person's undergarment. While the cloak was the outer garment or coat. The person would typically own multiple number of tunics. The cloak, however, was very expensive. And people normally only owned one. According to the law, you can take away someone's shirt, undergarment, but you cannot take away someone's outer garment because they need it as a warm blanket or sleep under at night and in the winter. In other words, 
although you do not have the right uh, of the search, you do have the right to the outer garment. So in this picture, Jesus is saying we should be willing to sacrifice even our own rights to reach out in love to other people. It is interesting to us here that Jesus did not say, if someone sues you, how about you? Instead, he says, if someone would sue you, I always say the differently, if someone wants to sue you, how should you? Jesus here is telling us to be prepared to give up our rights to our possessions, to give someone what he wants even before being asked us, then to give him more than he wants. In this case, the person who wants to take something from us may indeed take advantage of us. But as Spurgeon said, it's better to lose suits of clothes than to be involved in a lawsuit. More importantly, we communicate to those who sue us that we have a different set of priorities and values in Christ than the people of this world. Now we need to balance this command with other scriptures. We certainly have an obligation to take care of our families and protect our property. Therefore, if someone sue you or your business to put your livelihood at risk, you should use courts to protect yourself. But even then, you do not, you do so out of a sense of duty to your families. Not, of, not, not out of personal animosity towards the person suing you. And you still have to look, look for ways to reach out to the person who has offended you. And Jesus said to respond with a radical love, even a willingness to give up your rights rather than exacting revenge on the person who sued you. The third picture has to do with forced, act, forced actions. Look at verse 41. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And here Jesus is speaking that the right believers must be willing to give up for Jesus is personal liberty and uh, time. Roman soldiers had the legal right and to have the civilians to carry baggage up to one mile, Roman miles, which is slightly less than today's one mile. However, they would not have a civilian to carry luggage beyond that distance. This most likely what happened to Simon of Cyrene, who, when he was forced to carry the cross of Jesus. Naturally, that Jews hid this forced cons conscription. When Jesus said this, he was separating himself 
from the fanatics and others who wanted to overthrow the government because of this act of forced conscription. Thus, while we may not have a direct application in our society, we undoubtedly have an indirect application. This means that we should not feel resentful when people call us and take up valuable, valuable time just because they have nothing to do. Nor should we be outraged when we are assigned extra work at the office, set up to do someone else's job, or send for coffee while doing something we think is essential. Instead, we are to do it cheerfully and as unto the Lord. How do we respond when someone forcibly commandeer and squeeze your time and energy? Do you do what you are told in a kind and helpful manner? Do you admit that your time and energy, energy are the Lord's and that you can use them as he sees fit? Do you trust God's sovereignty in the, dis in the distractions of the day, including those who disrespect you, such as a demanding boss or family members who distract you? Our time does not belong to us, but the Lord. And we must use it, even if it is for those who hurt us. This is often God's way of saving the lost and bringing redeemed lives to repentance. Have you given your time to the Lord? Are you willing to sacrifice your time for the good of others, even those who are rude and ungrateful? Offering your time and energy for others out of love, including the ungrateful, will be the sign of God's people in the world. Does it signify you? The last picture has to do with request and generosity. Once again, look at verse 42. It says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse one who would borrow from you. Jesus here is saying that the right that believers must be willing to give up for him is money. This sounds challenging because the money is hard to, to earn and even hard to keep. We naturally feel that since we make our money, it is not right for others to have it. We often obsess about the government taking so much of money in taxes. In our minds, we think, I earned this. Why are they taking it away? For the poor, we think, why don't they work hard for their money and stop being lazy? But if we are Christians, our money is the Lord's. We are to be highly generous with it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. But what if they are not worth it? What if they are insulted you in the past? Does that get you off the hook? 
Again, Jesus' answer is, do not withhold, for it doesn't matter what they have done. Their request to you should not be an opportunity for refusal, but rather an opportunity for radical love over revenge. However, now once again, we must balance this with other scriptures. What Jesus is saying here is not a call for us to unload your bank account to a beggar so that they can have a a solid financial base to take up the cost of alcoholics and addicts. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, If a man does not work, he shall not eat. And so we are not to encourage laziness by giving someone something they should be working for. Instead, Jesus calls for the cheerful, willing use of your goods to help others in need. We are supposed to be generous and lend to others. But we are also considered wise and discerning. The problem is that Believers cannot think only of themselves. He should work to not only provide for themselves and their family, but to help others in need. He is not to see the money he owns as his personal poverty that he must keep to himself, but to see himself as a steward of that which belongs to God and to allow God's money to be used for the advancement of God's work. He must see the needs of the others and be willing and to meet them. This generosity of spirit alone makes the Christians stand out from the greedy crowd in our world. And this brings us to the last point, the lessons from his teaching. Brothers and sisters, in responding to personal injustice, we need to remember that we are called to take up our cross, meaning to give up our rights. Christ was righteous and deserved no punishment, but he gave up his rights to entrust and entrusted them to God. In the same way, we must put our right aside when we serve others and sometimes experience injustice. When we follow our Lord, we must take up our cross daily. Our lives should not be consumed by worldly rights of revenge, possessions, time, and money. Our primarily responsibility, and right are to go to God and others with sacrificial love and sometimes so, sometimes to suffer the insults and pain, and pain imposed on us by others. In responding to personal injustice, we need to remember that as Christians, we must allow others to walk over us like a doormat. We must be willing to take a beating and be taken advantage of with an eye to God's glory and the offender's eternal good. By so doing, 
we confess Jesus Christ was the doormat for us. Crushed under the weight of our sin. In embracing the fact that Jesus was a doormat for us. We are inspired to be a doormat for Jesus. And we strive to be a doormat for Jesus. So that others can see the doormat for Jesus. So others can see the compassionate, patient, forgiving, generous grace of Jesus Christ through us. To, be, to become defensive when de- demeaned, incensed, and insulted. Push back when shoved. Attack when attacked. To criticize when criticized. These are not demonstration of strength. On the contrary, they are expressions of faith misplaced. Trusting in our own wisdom instead of God's ways. But instead of seeing an opportunity to get even, God wants us to see a chance to give grace, to show grace, His grace to the offender. Do not repay evil with evil and consider what is good in front of all people. If it is possible, live in peace with all people. God will come to exact vengeance and to do just on our behalf. We should come to love. Now, of course, when God puts us in positions of authority, such as parents, bosses, and government officials, we must act as his representatives and administer discipline in those positions with justice. But in such a discipline, we must remember mercy and seek to act fairly and respectfully of God. In responding to personal injustice, we need to remember that there is a reward for carrying life on the cross. Don't forget that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall bear the earth. Although we do not fight for our rights now, choosing to sacrifice and serve others, all will be given to us one day. Although as a Christian, we sacrifice many of the things the world, the world seeks and fights for, we will be rewarded with eternity one day. It's all worth it in the end. In eternity, the rewards for the meek will be great. Brothers and sisters, as children of God, the redeemed ones in Christ, we do not hold our right to get even anymore. The law of eye for eye and tooth for tooth is for the judge in court. But not for our retaliation and revenge. We must give up our right to fairness because of what he has done and obtained for us. Because of his love for us. We are grateful that Jesus was not fair with us. For if otherwise, what we would have, what we would have gotten would have been eternal 
condemn, condemnation. Therefore, as a Christian, we must love others, even our enemies. Out of our gratitude to God, we bear demeaned, take a beating and insults of others for Christ's sake and theirs. In other words, we are willing to be a doormat for Jesus to advance the kingdom of God. What's the, doormat? What's the purpose of a doormat? doormat? The goal of a doormat is for people to walk on it, hoping it will affect your souls. The same is true for you if you are his disciples, being a willing doormat for Jesus' sake means that you allow people to step on you in hopes of having a positive impact on their souls. You want to see your good deeds touch and seek and shake their souls to treat them with kindness when they're trying to insult you, with generosity when they take advantage of you, with peace and joy when they dump their stress and frustration on you. So being a doormat for Jesus is not a sign of weakness, brothers and sisters, but to be a good to take a beating and insults of others for Christ's sake and theirs. To be willing to be a doormat for Jesus is in no way a sign of incompetence useless and ignorance. Those who are not of high moral character are not willing to be a doormat for Jesus. Those who have little faith do not want to be a doormat for Jesus. Those who are selfish do not want to be a doormat for Jesus. And those who do not behave properly cannot be a doormat for Jesus. Only those who have a true wisdom, maturity, mature faith, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and those who are willing to obey God are eager to be a doormat for Jesus, happy to be a doormat for Jesus, and ready to be a doormat for Jesus all their lives. To be a doormat for Jesus is to declare to the world that our relationship are not based on rights and fairness, but the great love of God. This love motivates us to willingly give up our rights, take being a doormat for Jesus as a responsibility, and take it as a blessing. Amen.